You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode number 90 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. I hope you are all doing very well today. I am doing excellently. It has been two weeks now since our Death of the QS episode in episode 88, which talked about the extinction of the QS. And I can assure you I have had lots of panicking QSs message me saying, is it really over? Is this really going to happen? Well, today, guys, I've got someone here who has a lifeline for the QSs. So I think we're all going to be feeling a little bit better after this show. We're joined today by Heather Evans. She's a partner and the National Head of Sustainability at Ryder Levitt Bucknell. RLB is an independent global construction consultancy providing management and advice throughout the built environment. And I think they're in almost 40 countries. Heather, welcome to Own the Build. Save us now. How are you? I am all good and happy to be here to save everyone. Apparently, <laughs> you've got the you've got the magic wand. We need to be saved. The QSs. We're we're all very worried now after being told AI is going to wipe us off the face of the earth. Many people were happy to see the QSs gone, but you know, I can think of a few myself. But yeah, I am very very confident that the role of the QS is not going to be wiped out. Oh, you are music to my ears. Music to my ears. So, tell everyone Heather about yourself, the business that you're in and kind of your experience. So as you mentioned, I'm a partner at RLB and I look after sustainability services nationally. And the services that that me and my team deliver range from high level sustainability strategies, delivering decarbonisation roadmaps, net zero carbon strategies and and roadmaps to get there as well, all the way through to doing kind of accreditations like BRIAM that we utilise on projects either new construction or existing. And what we do as well is make sure that all of our sustainability services are very much linked through to our cost consultancy services too. So RLB, most people will know us as more of a cost consultant, a traditional QS. Um, Whereas actually we've got a range of services in-house, more kind of along the the lines of a multi-disc consultant so we do pretty much everything other than new build design so there's a fair amount that we go at. Is it a QS founded business though it started it is, on cost yeah. consultancy QSing so you love QSs you have to right? I tolerate probably more than love but no <laughs> <laughs> no of course I do yeah so we are we were founded as a QS practice way back when um, one of the first initial QSs actually that kind of developed the the specialism and yeah we've kind of grown from there so we've been a- around for a good long while um, we've got a global reach now across our global partnerships so yeah over 4,000 strong globally. Wow it's a massive massive company and you, you said it's a very diverse portfolio of services now. That rings true when I'm sat here speaking to the head of sustainability. Can you tell me what you believe is a common myth about being the head of sustainability or about sustainability and construction generally that you want to dispel and say it's a load of nonsense? Oh, God, a load of nonsense. I think the biggest thing to dispel is that you don't just want sustainability experts, you want everyone to be a sustainability advocate and then they rely on the experts. 
the biggest pet peeve that I have in all honesty is that people tend to refer to sustainability as just being carbon. It is so much wider than that and I am by no means an expert in every single area of sustainability but I've got a good handle at this point across all the different areas. Um, so yeah the, the focus on carbon, don't get me wrong, it's a really important topic but it is definitely not the entirety of sustainability. Okay, we'll come back to that because that's a very interesting point because that's when you, I think sustainability, I think carbon, but that's probably half the battle for you by the sounds it of it. It is, so, yeah. So we'll, co- we'll come back myth. to that. Okay, excellent. So how long have you been in the industry? Why did you choose construction? Why did you choose RLB? Talk to us a bit about your, your own personal journey. Of course. So I joined RLB eight years ago now as a master's graduate. I'd done a degree in geography and thought, right, I need to specialise a little bit more here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) QSN is clearly the answer after geography. Um, So I did a master's at University of Liverpool in sustainable design and architecture. The reason why I decided to specialise in that area is because I loved the relationship between buildings and people. I don't think they should ever be seen as different areas and linking that back into planet. All three of them need to play together. You can't look at one of them in a silo. You've got to look at them all together. And past me clearly had a good eye to the future because it turns out it's a pretty good career to be in now. So sustainability (laughs) is picked up over there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, from that point, I joined RLB as a yeah, master's graduate back in 2014, and I was doing an environmental assistant role, looking just at our corporate sustainability. So, you know, what were our carbon emissions? What could we do to make our business practice and operations more sustainable? And then over time, I realised that all of that knowledge and expertise I was gaining, why weren't we giving that to our clients who had very much the same issues as us, the same challenges, but also the same opportunities as well. So I built up the sustainability services within the specialist team at RLB. And honestly, it's just gone from strength to strength. It was the exact right time within the market. And yeah, now I'm sat here partner after eight years. So it's been quite a journey, but an exciting one. Well, kudos. And I know you did a big speech this week and it went very, very well by the looks of it. So I can see that things are developing really well in your career personally. Can I ask a slightly ignorant question about why would clients employ RLB specifically for sustainability? So for me, I think our biggest kind of USP, the reason why you would employ us for sustainability is our independence. Now, I don't just mean that as we're a partnership firm, so we have no external stakeholders. That's also a really powerful sell. But wider than that, I think our independence to look at a project, a portfolio, a programme, an organisation without that level of bias. So we're not a designer. We won't be marking our own homework. We'll be looking at others from a completely kind of a step back, looking at it a bit more holistically. We can integrate the things that quite often are sat separately. So sustainability and cost haven't historically gone together particularly well. We've not seen that merging. We've not seen that that interaction to provide clients with a really good view of it. We're asked all the time questions like, oh, well, how much will Braham cost? Unless they're working together, clients can't make those decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say, my experience working on big projects and, and for large companies, and this is not, nothing to do with the companies that I used to work with, but on some of the projects that I worked on, 
my view as a QS was always that, you know, sustainability was more of a nice to have than an essential. I've been out of the industry, out of these projects for six, seven years now. So is that like, to have, first and foremost, me saying sustainability is a nice to have. That's not how I feel about it personally, but that's the perception that I felt there was on projects. How does that make you feel? Oh, it's something that has been, honestly, a really common response or kind of perspective on sustainability. It's been referred to as the the like the fluffy subject, the nice to have, the add-on, the thing that they can't quite determine what value there is. That has wildly changed over the past, not just over the past kind of wildly. 18, wildly changed. Yeah, the mindset shift has been absolutely phenomenal. Now, that was driven by a few things. The climate emergency that was kind of gained real big momentum a couple of years back, but not just that, also the COVID pandemic. Obviously, that was a really tough time for everyone, but I think it also made everybody take a step back and analyse not just the way that we were doing things, but the way we wanted to move forward and have a think about, okay, what impact do we want to leave? So I know within construction, it was an opportunity for us to look at it and think, what can we do better here? We've got this moment to almost pause and relook and reassess and evaluate and that's not just in terms of our working patterns. We've moved to a, an agile working system now. That's completely changed the impact on sustainability, for one. But not just that, it kind of made us realise we're spending so much time inside these buildings. We were literally trapped in them for two years. We need to make sure that not only they're good for us, but they're good for the planet as well. They're going to be here for a long while. So that has been a huge amount of mindset change. And we've seen it come through in the market, not just in terms of demand from clients, but the fact that we just don't have enough sustainability consultants. I'm actively recruiting within my team and my God, is it hard to find people. <laughs> really? But going, going back to what you said, I might, might misquote you here, but you said something along the lines of, for years, it was quite difficult to attribute value to sustainability. And you said that kind of wildly changed in the last couple of years since covid and and all of those things now that makes sense the word value what is the value that we're now attributing to it or that your clients are now attributing to it so value almost used to be defined as the drivers of time cost and quality now we're seeing more and more that those drivers are expanding to include planet for for lack of a better word there so we know that particularly in the uk we've got a legally binding target to hit net zero by 2050 that means that Big developments now and big organisations have to look at the way in which that not just they're operating, but what they want to develop. And to be able to do that, we need to make sure that that level of value is integrated into those business processes. So by having it sat on the periphery, as it was a few years back, you don't right see at what the, the right at the edge. Yeah, right at yeah. the edge. I was always the first thing value engineered out. Sustainability exactly, was yeah. never. Yeah, it was always the first thing to go. And actually when you think about it you don't build a building for a short period of time nothing within the built environment is meant to be that temporary and sustainability is about making sure that it works for the future not just in terms of you know the capital cost but also what's your operational cost that's sustainability what's your financial risk that's sustainability it links to everything and so it sounds like you've almost uh, ridden the perfect wave in terms of like your career and how things have played out and how mindset has shifted around the topic of an area that you specialize in which is fantastic for the rest of us honestly so that is great if i think about 
I'm always thinking about the clients that I worked for, right? And I, I imagine the clients that you worked for, the projects that I worked on, I was working on big schemes, would not be dissimilar. So how do you, what is like the one thing that clients are doing now with this shifted mentality that if you reflect on yourself five years ago trying to say, can we get this back off the edge into the centre of the conversation? What's changed? So one of the biggest things and what I used to constantly go on about was early engagement. (laughs) If you bring in a sustainability consultant or any form of sustainability assessor, anything linked to it, at Reba Stage 4, when the design is done and set and you're about to go on site, there is absolutely nothing we can influence at that point. It's very minor in the grand scheme of things. By bringing us in much earlier and integrating us into the business case, that has been so powerful to watch that mindset shift. Not just that, but we're brought on quite often to write the strategy and write the KPIs from a sustainability perspective that on those large schemes then get taken forward. Previous to that being integrated into project processes, it was so easy to ignore because nobody was, yeah, it was too late. Nobody was able to check in on it. There wasn't, it wasn't being reported on in the same way that cost was. So you would constantly have, you know, cost plan reviews, you would have updates, you'd be comparing back to the budget. That wasn't happening from a sustainability perspective. There wasn't that attention on it. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's changed. Clients want to see sustainability performance now, not just everything else. And that comes from either clients direct, but stakeholders too. That's really coming through really strongly. Whether those stakeholders are the general public, who are so much more switched on now from a sustainability perspective than they were before. You've only got to look at, you know, Greta Thunberg being a basically a celebrity. That how many sustainability celebrities did we have before? <laughs> you know, not, not many. You we've got we've got Greta and we've got you now. We're, we're, we're <laughs> waiting we for the other ones to come through, right? <laughs> I'll add in David Attenborough there. You know, be part. <laughs> yeah, of the right, we'll add him as well. Why not? Yeah. So going back to why a client big client doing a project would em, would employ you what are the real value adds how do you shape that business case and that the case for delivering that project in a better way that helps them get it over the line so the key thing for me is to understand what the actual value is that the clients want to get out of the project what is the rationale behind doing it what are the drivers that are pushing this project forward And how can we start to integrate them and make sure that sustainability is pushing in the right direction as well? So for some clients, that is improving the occupant experience of a building. For others, it's about reducing operational costs and being able to pass that on to the end user. For others, yet again, it is about gaining planning permission. And then for others, it's about ESG, so environmental social governance, and being able to report that back to their investors. As soon as we've got a handle on what that is, because it's not the same in every project, you know, a hospital has completely different drivers to a commercial office space. And we need to understand what they are and work with the client to define that so that then we can integrate it throughout. And the biggest value that we've seen is the fact that we can integrate not just capital costs and operational costs, but also the life cycle of carbon. So your embodied carbon your operational carbon, what's the social value associated with the development, pulling all that together and being able to demonstrate that really clearly to a client to say, we've looked at all your different drivers, here in one place you can see all of those impacts 
And that means that you can make those choices in an informed way, rather than having to look at about six different reports and somehow glean what the right route would be. And then measure them throughout the life cycle of the project, etc. In the same way that you'd measure costs, etc. I guess, right? You, you've touched on carbon there. Going back to also what you said at the top of the show about sustainability is not just carbon. Just let's explore that briefly. Yeah, so carbon is a huge topic at the moment. It's the hot topic within sustainability. Um, we've all heard of net zero carbon. People have various different definitions of that, which is another issue in the industry. It's making sure that everybody's got the same standards and we're all aligned and we understand what those definitions mean. But wider than that, if we just focus on carbon, we could have the most carbon positive building in the world. So from that, I mean low embodied carbon, low operational carbon. If people aren't utilising that space properly and they're not enjoying it, either that space is going to get ripped down and started again, or it's going to be refitted, or it's just not going to be operated in the right way. So even just from that small example, you, you know, carbon doesn't equal sustainability there. That's one part of the whole. Um, and by looking at, at carbon and sustainability together, it's a much easier way to make sure your, your project is actually going to last in a positive way. Do you feel we're not doing that then? Do you feel like the industry is just everything is carbon, embodied carbon, and, and that's detracting? Is it the right thing to be I mean, doing? It's definitely the right thing to be doing in terms of focusing in on carbon. It's an issue that's particularly from an embodied carbon side. It's relatively new to the industry. And, you know, construction hasn't really been known to be at the forefront of innovation that's not to say we can't be i think there's absolutely huge capacity for innovation within construction processes at the moment and what we need to do to drive that is, is collaborate quite frankly the more we do that the better but i think if we look a little bit wider than carbon while still discussing carbon that's only going to be a positive thing and that's just a mindset shift it's looking at it not just from a what is there right now at this moment and let's calculate it you know, I have discussions with QSs quite often around, well, we can calculate carbon. Of course you can. You've got the absolute right skill set there. You know, you're really, really used to quantification and what is a carbon calc other than quantification of carbon. But what do you do with that? People know what a pound means. They know what a fiver means. They don't know what a ton of carbon means. Is that Absolutely good? Is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's not that level of... You know, what's the perspective? What's the comparison? What's good and what's bad? And that's where you've got to bring in that wider conversation and have the experts sat at the table as well. So it very much links through to, to cost, um, but you've got to make sure you've got that perspective. <laughs> yeah, now you've given me the perfect segue to get on to kind of how you're going to save, save us all, save all us QSs. But let's talk more about that right after the break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, 
you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So as I have touched on, Heather, we are expecting you to be our saviour here. I've had a good conversation with you offline and I want to share it with all the other QSs. If anyone's not a QS and is listening and thinks, don't do it, Heather, sorry, we've, we've got to let her go. So last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, on the show, we had Martin Paver, who is a real enthusiast. He's very passionate about using AI and machine learning and data generally to improve the way our projects work. Now, as a result of that, he thinks a lot of the grunt work, if you want to call it, that QSs would have previously done is going to disappear in years to come. And I can totally, totally picture that. You can also see how, like, standard measurement and and the like is also, it's already started to disappear right from our day-to-day QS lives. So we were talking about how the role of the QS is going to change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thing that we've talked about, you and I, Heather, is something you just touched on which is quantifying carbon and linking carbon to costs which i think could be a way to generate new tasks and new activities that qs have become responsible for what's your view on it all so i think the skill set that qs's have is something that isn't going to be disappearing off anywhere there's no way that the QS is going to go extinct in my eyes anyway, you know, might be 20 years down the line and be eating my words, but I highly doubt it. One of the phrases that our, our chief exec, Andy Reynolds, really likes to use is that cost consultants are the custodians of quantification. Now, that doesn't necessarily, it's, it's a good, it's a good soundbite, right? I agree with that completely because that skill set, you look at a project, you're able to quantify it, but not just that, you're able to analyse it and feedback what that actually means. I think that's a skill set that whilst it might transform, it's not going to go extinct. And part of that transformation is very likely to be about embodied carbon. That embodied carbon is where every single builder material, every single material is made up of carbon to some degree. Some of them are far more carbon intensive than others. So I'll give you two of the worst ones, which is concrete and steel. So cement. We don't uh, use much of that, do we? No, construction industry. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, cement alone accounts for around about six percent of all carbon emissions globally, and that's you know a material that is so widespread in construction. And we're not necessarily talking about okay, we can't get rid of it, but what can we do to address it? It wouldn't it make it something like the third biggest emitting country? It's China, America, cement. Yes. yes. So when you put it into terms like that, you realise the sheer impact that the construction industry has. But not just that, it also highlights the opportunity that we've got to make a real tangible tangible difference. And the way to reduce anything is to know what your baseline is. You know, any cost consultant will say, well, I can't find you a a 10% decrease in cost without knowing what your initial costs are. There's no way for us to be able to do that. And part of that process very much does come through in terms of carbon. I can't give a carbon reduction without knowing the carbon baseline. And by utilising our cost consultant skill set in terms of quantifying that carbon, 
is a really, really powerful thing. Now that does have to sit alongside sustainability consultancy. So, I've, you know. I've got I've got to stop you there though, because you've said something that has baffled me. How can you quantify carbon? Can we talk about that briefly? Can you just help paint that picture for me and I'm sure a few of the people listening? So if you take, say, a brick, right, that's got a certain amount of carbon in, all of that data is is held and it's getting more and more robust as we work through and the focus on embodied carbon to be honest so steel has x amount of carbon in brick has y amount of carbon in the way that we look at embodied carbon in terms of a building is that all of those different components with their value of carbon get built up and then you have the embodied carbon for that building the way that we tend to demonstrate that is through the carbon intensity so say 500 kilograms of carbon per square meter to try and bring it back to to building terms that people are familiar with i'm with you again yeah (laughs) so that's the way that we look at it so basically each and every building has a certain amount of embodied carbon now that embodied carbon is spent it's used once you've built it there's pretty you know you can't get it back there's ways that we can offset it there's ways that we can try and regain that carbon elsewhere but by reducing the amount of carbon we're putting into buildings in the first place that's how we try and reduce our embodied carbon so yeah it's very much around the physical built environment there does reducing carbon increase cost that would be the the, the cynics or the natural assumption right of the of well, probably most people listening that you think all right if i'm moving away from cement and steel or trying to do things in a different way the costs are naturally going to go up is that the right assumption is that something that's a short-term pain for the long-term gain it's short-term pain for the long-term gain and that's not to say that every single material if you switch out for a lower carbon alternative there's not automatically a cost uplift in any way it just means that you've got something else to look at alongside you know the performance of that material the cost of that material the availability of it you now should also look at the carbon of that material and it just it helps again give that bigger picture what we try and advocate for as well is if you're shipping steel from across the globe is there a way that you could reuse what you've got here or use more local manufacturers of any product not just steel that reduces the amount of carbon associated with that product or not demolish a building and start again last week we were talking to an engineer who's been on massive projects and we were talking about it's the M&S that's been on, it's on Oxford Street, is it? I think yes, it yeah. Yeah, which has been that kind of hot topic over the summer, hasn't it, as to whether or not it should be taken down, et cetera, et cetera. Because obviously in demolishing it, there's a whole load of embodied carbon in then rebuilding it, right? I'm no expert. But what's your view on on that specifically? My view is always the best thing you can do from an embodied carbon perspective is to not build. That doesn't work in every scenario. You're always going to have to That doesn't work for RLB though, does it? No, exactly. But at the same time, the vast majority of our built environment that is here today will still exist in 2050, but it's not performing particularly well. So we've got to look at how we can improve what we've currently got. So from an embodied carbon perspective, if we've just looked at that and nothing else, then the M&S very much should retain as much as it possibly can because that carbon's already been spent it's it's there it's in situ we can try and improve it that's great that's absolutely fantastic but if you knock it down you've lost all that embodied carbon and you're again going to put more in place i have to say i've fa- i've found your kryptonite it's embodied carbon 
when we talk about embodied carbon, Heather, I can hear your Scouse accent starting to come <laughs> through. It's just the passion, and I just hear it eking out there. So I'm happy with that. It does. It creeps through every now and then. Who knew embodied carbon would be the area that it suddenly crept out on? <laughs> it really got you going there. So going back to the end of the QS or the adaption of the QS and how things are going to be, obviously cost consultancy, QSing, and RLB – intrinsically linked right you're this huge organization very forward thinking how are you guys looking to adapt the role of the qs i mean you're talking about it here to some degree but how would rlb feel listening to that podcast a couple of weeks ago saying ai is going to take out a lot of what qs does i mean at the end of the day qsing has gone through so much change already it is in no way what was around 150 years ago. There's already been transformation. You know, you'll, you'll speak to QSs who used to solely work on paper and didn't have access to computers. That's complete, you know, I highly doubt anybody works like that anymore. Being scared of change just means that you're going to be left behind. So in order to adapt, it's looking at what efficiencies can you make but also what skill sets can you grow? I think if everybody just remains scared of that change and doesn't adapt and align to what's coming at them, it just means that you'll be left behind. And RLB are constantly looking for innovation in whatever we do. And we see sustainability linked through to cost as an absolutely huge opportunity, not just for us as a consultancy, but across the industry as a whole, for us to be able to become more efficient and better at the way well, that the we ESG create. market is going yeah. to be billions as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Or already huge. is, probably. Yeah, yeah, already is. set to grow even bigger. And we know that investors are starting to look at the longer term. They're 100%. And the best way to address ESG is to make sure that your data is absolutely bang on. And that's an area that, you know, QSs know really well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so the kind of like the climax of the show couple of weeks ago was almost that you could become a QS with superpower by retraining and like reframing your mind almost so that you could become more like a QS slash data scientist because that's kind of like the way things are going you're kind of advocating for this QS carbon link makes a lot of sense to me what would your given the conversations you have with the people at RLB what would your advice be to any QS who is listening about how they can explore this how they can potentially position themselves in a way where they can become that qs in a few years time and grow their career well the biggest advice i can give is to look at any building from a holistic viewpoint now i've said building there but that could be project program portfolio look at it more holistically you're as a qs everybody will be very very familiar with capex and opex widen that perspective out a little bit more and understand the value that you can give within that space i think from a a carbon perspective don't look at carbon as just something else you can measure of course you can measure it what's the value of measuring it what is the point of doing it (laughs) and there is spend your weekends measuring carbon (laughs) no you know what value is that going to give to the client you need the consultancy to be sat around that measurement and i think that comes back to the point of you know the theoretical death of the qs what's the value that that qs is bringing and that is very much around what is the financial implication of any building 
So what is the carbon implication of any building? And to work closer with sustainability specialists, we're not expecting, you know, in RLB, we don't want absolutely everyone to be a sustainability expert. Otherwise, we'd just be a sustainability consultancy. What we want is for them to be sustainability advocates and be conversant with sustainability instead of looking at it as a dark art. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. And you talked at the top of the show about I'm trying to recruit and there's a complete distinct lack of construction-minded sustainability advocates. Do you see lots of traits in QSs that could... like? Is that roles... Are they roles that QSs can then potentially fill longer term, do you think? I think potentially longer term, yeah. What we try and look for is less around, you know, what role do they currently have and more what is their mindset and where do they want to get to. The reason why there's a bit of a, you know, sustainability market is booming right now. Everybody wants to be a sustainability consultant, which is a complete change to when I entered the industry. But it's a really good thing, but you need the experience and that overall sustainability view you know we mentioned before that a lot of people are just thinking about carbon the industry does not need people that solely focus in on carbon it will just be commoditized so quickly it's not something that provides value we want qs's project managers building space any built environment consultant um designer engineer everybody you've got to be looking at the longer term what are you creating our kind of strapline and ethos at RLB is creating a better tomorrow and we've always said that it's been around for years now we're really really starting to draw that believe it believe it yeah yeah and push it through each and every one of our core services and I think that's a really powerful thing you know what are we leaving behind what is it that we want to create and not just that what do we want to interact with you know I know if there's a more sustainable building I'm going to feel far more connected to that building and know that it's a good thing that I'm leaving behind and I'd like to think more and more people are starting to switch on to that way of thinking as well well it's uh, you, you know some conversations I have week in week out make me feel a bit depressed almost about where the world where the world is at and how construction sits within it and you do kind of think oh it's such a awkward industry at times construction and other ones make me feel more positive and you know there are things going on where there's legislation coming down to to try and shift the mentality of construction generally I'm not talking just about sustainability where trying to be more sustainable and fair in our procurement practices from the top down so it's not a race to the bottom you've talked about clients now not thinking of it as a soft and cuddly thing on the edge of the project it's the at the center and if it costs more it costs more right that's that's kind of why we have esg and why that all fits together are you positive then about the next few years are you seeing change yeah i am i'm incredibly positive about it i view construction as having such a huge opportunity in front of us as long as we do transform from where we currently are and we see it as a journey we mentioned before that i'd done a, a pretty big presentation at the weekend and that was to our, our global business and that was all around the green transition so we're not saying that we're at the end of the sustainability journey nor are we at the start oh, right. yet we're nowhere near the end we need to make sure that everybody is just moving forward in a positive way and i think quite often discussions around the climate emergency can be so negative and it's for good reason you know the threat is huge 
point is in order to inspire change look at it as a positive opportunity and something that everybody needs to do it'll impact each and every one of us there is absolutely no chance that you know we've seen in the uk right manchester which is where i am we hit highs of 40 degrees this summer and our built environment cannot cope it can't cope and the way to mitigate that as much as we possibly can is by all of us thinking about sustainability and linking it into the services that we do as well well if you're optimistic i am optimistic i'm much more positive about it my final question for you heather is I am a simple QS. If you were doing the interviewing, what is the one thing that I should have asked you that I haven't? That's a really good question. And in all honesty, I think we've covered the vast majority of it from a QS perspective. The biggest thing is just being open to the conversation and knowing that whilst the industry is starting to wake up to it more and more, it is not widespread yet. And we've got so much learning and upskilling to do. The biggest thing is to be as open about it as possible and to keep an eye in terms of what is going on in the market. What do what do people want? How can I change my own behaviours, but also inspire change in others? I think that's kind of that's the biggest thing for me is around behavioural awareness and behavioural change. That's something that is QSs probably it doesn't always factor in the decision making process. We're getting on so well. (laughs) No, I more mean that you tend to deal so much with you know bricks and mortar and physical materials that quite often the wider implications of those choices and decisions and even feeding it through to procurement it doesn't necessarily play a part so much but behavioral change is something that all of us need to start to push for so that that'd kind of be my my overall pointer in the right direction excellent well heather it has been nothing short of a pleasure to have you on the show you've been an absolute star so thank you so much for coming on no worries at all so glad to be here excellent and everyone I will speak to you next week. Hopefully we've got some more positive news about QSing. (laughs) If you've not left us a review or rating on the podcast app that you listen to, please do. And I will see you all next week. See you later.